Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, Head of Quantitative Index Solutions Bobby Barnes joins us on the show to discuss the current economic environment and what factors like value and momentum could mean going forward into 2023. He says value has done well this year and momentum started the year overweight and then rebalanced throughout the year. He says that if you look over the last six months, momentum has been one of the best performing factors. From a factor standpoint, he suggests to take a more defensive stand and hold out the factors of low vol, quality and momentum for 2023. Looking ahead, Bobby is looking closely at certain data points like the ISM and consumer spending. Overall, he believes economic activity will likely slow down next year. Today's podcast was recorded on November 17th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Bobby, the year itself, if we look back even further than today in November, has been kind of a value pedal to the metal uh, story in terms of factors. What, uh, what does that mean if we've seen it this far? Has it changed completely for next year? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, and so, you know, the w- one way I would describe uh, what we've seen thus far is that, uh, you know, value as a factor has performed uh, quite well uh, this year. And a lot of that was uh, front loaded because it was at kind of the, the tail end of the recovery, the reopening trade, a lot of the things that we experienced and talked about in uh, 2021. Uh, but then as the year progressed, um, you know, it, it feels like it was forever ago, but it was only in March when we, you know, uh, saw our first uh, start to the rate hikes. Um, uh, economic activity uh, began to uh, to fall throughout the course of the year. And then you started to see rotations, um, uh, you know, for, with, with uh, robust performance coming from other factors. Um, and so I would call the, the tipping point, um, say, around June is where, I started to see um, things like low vol um, uh, do quite well. And it shouldn't be a surprise given that the, the market um, has uh, trended down and low vol tends to do well in that environment. Uh, but then another one uh, that your viewers might remember uh, is, is momentum, which is something I've talked about along the way because it changes its complexion uh, over time, but it's by definition. Um, and so it started the year uh, being overweight, a lot of the high beta stuff that uh, you know, work coming out of the, the bottom as expected. Um, and then as you know, the momentum product rebalanced throughout the year, it slowly got out of uh, a lot of that stuff, a lot of a lot out of a lot of the um, unprofitable growth names which we've talked about before, and has become more uh, defensive. Um, it's become higher quality, uh, lower beta, and the like. Um, and so, particularly if I look back over the last six months. Uh, that's been one of the uh, the best performing factors. Um, and then, you know, with, with respect to value, I as I look out to 2023, uh, I start to see um, 
facets of value that give me pause and perhaps would lead to a, a different prescription and thinking about next year. Okay, fascinating. We're, I'm going to make everyone sort of tantalize on that for just a second because I want to just get a sense of the way you look at the markets, the quantitative approach. Ultimately, you're going to be looking at um, well, at different data points, which of course the whole world is is sort of hanging on the different data points. When you see some of the data points that have come in over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, the ISM. I also want to ask you about the consumer. I mean, what are you watching with those sort of levels? What are they indicating to you? So uh, I look for a couple of things. Um, uh, you know, the and, and it's important to note that uh, when these data points come out, I'm actually looking at them as a confirmation signal, not as a forecasting signal. Uh, and so I'll, I'll de- you know unpack that and explain what that means. Um, uh, if you're Viewers have listened to me before. I've talked about uh, economic activity as being a key driver to the performance of, you know, not just stocks, but any of the ways that you may group stocks, whether it be into factors or, you know, sectors and the like. Um, and so uh, the ISM, which you mentioned, uh, I think the last print, you know, we're barely holding on to a value above 50, uh, which is expansionary. You know, really what I'm looking at is, uh, you know, uh, in that value, does it confirm what my expectation was for the direction of the ISM? And so uh, for the entire year, I've had a forecast that the ISM was likely to uh, to, to fall uh, because I was characterizing or expecting uh, 2022 to be characterized as a period of slowing growth, uh, which it has been. Uh, and so we've seen um, the ISM on a, a glide path downward over that time period. Um, with respect to the consumer, um, that's been an interesting one as well. Um, you know, it's in some ways I feel like the consumer uh, is a is, is very much a, a lagging indicator um, in terms of okay. uh, you know how well they're doing because they're you know when things are deteriorating they're kind of the last ones to um, uh, to really you know where you to see it. Um, and so consumer spending has been very strong uh, as a data point I think uh, throughout the year and here most recently, uh, but then. Getting back to you know being forward looking, the question that uh, I always ask as an investor is um, you know not only you know where are things today, but more importantly, where are they likely to head? You know, call it six, twelve, eighteen months out. Okay, perfect. So you've dovetailed to go back to that. So what so what is a bit different for twenty twenty three then? Let's let's head back to that. Yeah. So for twenty twenty three is that it's likely to continue to slow. Uh, so if you define economic activity as say the ISM, uh, you know, by implication, that means I expect that to continue to fall. The reason being is because um, the things that I have found to be drivers of the ISM over time um, are say the, the cost of money uh, or as expressed by the uh, uh, 10-year treasury. Uh, inflation, you know, the cost of goods also has the uh, impact of flowing economic activity uh, as you would intuitively, you know, guess. Um, and then Fed rate hiking cycles, where their you know uh, monetary policy um, is is making things more costly, and so that has the intended effect, which is why you have that old adage: don't fight the Fed because they're they're going to be successful at whatever they're doing, be it if they're trying to stimulate the economy or if they're conversely trying to slow down the economy. So I mean, the comments that come out today, there's Fed speak flying around, so that 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 is what it is, pouring cold water on, on equity markets at, at this particular point. But the discussion from Jim Bullard, you know, could see interest rates rise as high as 7%. I mean, that's that's a headline. Um, do you look at the headlines? You just look at the direction. 
Good question. I mean, I, 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 I found that to be fairly amusing because, you know, if we, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, if you remember, there was all this debate. Right? Is it going to be five heights? Is it going to be seven? Is it going to be four? And I think I said at that time, you know, what you need to know is that it's up. <laughs> and right. it's don't going get lost in, right. yeah. Yeah, in those right. details. And, and so for me, um, uh, 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 Bullard's comments were, were basically a non-event. I mean, the, I think the Fed futures, before he even spoke, we're calling for the terminal rate to be about five. Um, you know, I'm not going to split hairs of whether or not it's five or seven with, with respect to where we are today, uh, which is three and three quarters. It, the answer is up. And so that's right. going to be restrictive um, uh, for uh, economic activity, um, much in the way that it was already likely to be beforehand. So, you know, that's the way I think about it. I think just the direction is, is what matters most. Okay, so so that's the direction. Um, no one's going to fight the Fed on that in this particular or, or that argument. You do see different types of arguments, just to go back to the consumer for a second, and sort of what kind of shape we're in. So I get that maybe the consumer is not the last to know, but perhaps one of the last to react on some level. Um, but I mean, what do you think? There, many will say we're heading into recession, but people perhaps are are more comfortable because you know, they had their bank accounts filled with stimulus. So they're, so they're in better positions. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah. And that, and that's, you, you, you kind of touched on it, the, uh, on it with your last comment there. I mean, it's, um, you know, there, there are still leftover stimulus in the system. Uh, the, so the consumer optically is in better shape, um, uh, you know, the, their credit worthiness and the like. Um, and so that's all the, on the, I think the bullish argument side of things, but then on the other side of it, it is, the fact that um, uh, with respect to wages and the increases that the consumer has experienced with their wages throughout the course of the year, it has not kept up with inflation. And so um, at least in terms of their incremental uh, spending power, their their purchasing power has decreased over the course of this year. Um, and so um, and so, the, you know, those are you know two examples of how you can argue it on either side. But um, that being said, um, you know, and this is where I uh, differentiate my views versus a lot of what you hear on the street. I'm I'm not concerned with where they are today. You know, it's you know with respect to stocks and factors and the performance of the market. It's it's about the, what's more important is what's where's the consumer going to be 12 months from now. So and, so where um, where is the consumer going to be 12 months from now, and how do we adjust yeah. our factors to to make sure we account for that? Yeah, and so it's my expectation that they will continue to spend down uh, any of the reserve savings they have left over from pandemic stimulus. Um, we're already seeing evidence that some of that spend down has already been uh, evaporated and consumers are now turning to the credit cards uh, to help fuel some of that spending, uh, which, you know, all things being equal, 12 months from now, those consumers who have to do that will be in a uh, lower level of credit worthiness than they are today. Um, and then um, and then the last piece of it is that uh, and this is something that people don't really talk a whole lot about. You know, we're at peak employment. Um, you know, things are, are in terms of unemployment levels. It's, it's about as good as, as it ever has gotten, at least when you go back, say, 30 to 40 years. And so just directionally and, and I'm, I'm not a um, I don't um, think that the Fed is, you know, directly wants people to be fired. But that's going to be the unintended outcome. You know, I think unemployment, there's, and you're already seeing that uh, a lot in the tech space, and I think it'll bleed over to other areas as the economy uh, continues to slow and gets into what I expect to be a contraction in 2023, which is not what we've experienced this year. This year, we've been in expansion, but just at a slowing rate. 
And so okay. I think you put all that together and with respect to the consumer, um, you know, directionally, they will be uh, worse off uh, 12 months from now than they are today. And so from a factor standpoint, you want to be, it prescribes to be in things that are more defensive. Um, and so, you know, that to call out those, you know, low vol is the most defensive thing that you can be in. Uh, and particularly going into recession, that's uh, the, the best uh, performer. Um, behind that, um, you've got um, usually a, it kind of depending on the environment, a toss up between quality and momentum. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, I think between the two, uh, I actually would tie break uh, and lean towards momentum right now based off of the characteristics I'm seeing. Um, and, and so those from a factor standpoint are the best areas to be in uh, should my forecast for 2020, 2023. So can you tell us a little bit more about quality and, um, you know, perhaps because valuations have changed, is our, is our quality mm -hmm. companies any different than they were? Do they look the same? Are they, do they have the same level of revenues, profitability? And also kind of why haven't they worked as well as you might have expected this year? So again, all great questions. And um, this is something that has, has come up a lot when, uh, you know, talking to clients. And um, as I dug in deeper into the characteristics of quality and, and looking at the specific companies, uh, one thing that um, was illuminated that I, you know, was surprised to see, I mean, or surprised maybe at myself for not uh, having discovered it beforehand, a lot of the higher quality companies um, were COVID beneficiaries. And, uh, you, know, you know, essential businesses that were allowed to remain open, whereas, you know, the their lower quality competitors uh, had, to, had to close. Um, and so what has another um, consequence of the pandemic that's starting to unwind now and is, has it's really been impacting the largest, highest quality companies is that um, from a fundamental perspective, a lot of those high quality companies had um, a lot of pull forward um, in demand for their, for their products and services. And so they're actually over earning. Um, and, you know, just to, you know, I'll just name some companies just to be, you know, illustrative examples. Um, you know, Meta and, and, you know, any any of these companies, uh, you know, associated with the uh, 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 social media and, and um, getting the advertising dollar, dollars because we all were captive audiences when we were stuck at home. And we know, sure were. were. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now we're not, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, the world's reopening and going out and touch, touching somebody, right? So, um, as the old saying used to go. Um, and so, you know, all these companies were at the, they were the, the highest quintile of quality and, um, we're in, you know, not only my portfolios, but, all, you know, my competitors' portfolios. Um, and so what you're seeing is that their, uh, their earnings revisions, like quality companies typically have, uh, good earnings revisions, especially when we're in a slowing growth environment like what we've been in. Um, but because the largest, highest quality companies were COVID beneficiaries um, in that top bracket, they are, they've actually seen significant uh, es downward estimate revisions uh, throughout the course of this year. And so given that, um, uh, that's, I think that to your question explains part of the reason why we haven't seen um, robust outperformance uh, from quality like we typically do. Um, and it's also something that gives me a little bit of pause. I mean, I, I still recommend it going into 2023, uh, particularly if, you know, it's going to be characterized by economic contraction. Um, but, you know, if I have to rank order my, uh, what I would, the factors I would advocate for, because I have that pause due to some of that unwind of um, 
these you know high quality companies being COVID beneficiaries, um, I would advocate for say low vol or momentum above quality, but still advocating for quality nonetheless. Okay, so low vol momentum and and then and then quality. I, I, I might just add on to what you mentioned there because perhaps the effect, as you said, of, of the pull forward made it tougher for the for the quality factor to do well this year. Is it about done unwinding some of that? And and therefore does it look I, I guess I'm just curious, you know, when that switches. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's where it's a very good question. So here's here's what I'm saying. Um the unwind is not done. Um so the the S P in aggregate, um, you can see it when you plot the historical earnings per share. Uh, we um, we're still at a level that we've over earned. And when you look at the street forecast for uh, S&P earnings into 2023, they're too high. They're they're calling for 10 percent growth from this level, which is already in, in and of itself an over earning level. And so I think all of that unwinds and we end up in a earnings contraction um, in 2023. And when I decompose, well, where uh, is that earnings contraction going to come from? Um, a lot of it's still going to come from some of these COVID, these high quality COVID beneficiaries. Um, and so um, anything comm services, you know, they, uh, you know, the again, I, I mentioned Meta, but then you could throw uh, uh, Google in there was a beneficiary. Um, uh, retail, you're still seeing um, um, a lot of the, especially the internet retails like Amazon, it just the earnings are too high, and they're going to continue, they're going to continue to fall, and that's that's going to be the the key source of the falling of earnings um, going into 2023. Um, so on the backs of some of those, uh, you know, that that area of the of the markets, then then you have sort of this question of is are what we actually seeing maybe within low vol? Maybe I don't know. Maybe we won't put commodities in low vol, but um, well, you'll tell us what we do there, but. You know, there's this discussion of the revenge of the old economies, the areas that we had not paid attention yeah. for so long, attention to just so long, and if it's with the value trade. But um, what do you see there? I mean, is that still true? Is it true? First of all, do, do you see some of that coming into the trends for 2023? You know, here's so here's how I see that. Um, you know, the, to borrow your phrase, the re, the revenge of the old economy. I know it's overblown and full of hyperbole, but. What do you think? So I, I saw that group doing really well in the COVID recovery. And and um and by really well that, you know, we're looking at the fundamentals as expressed by the estimate revisions. I mean, that's that's ultimately what that is when things are getting better and you and you saw those companies um uh their 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 fundamentals and their profits um accelerating, the the forward outlook for those accelerating. What I'm seeing now, however, and it's really started, um, I, I mentioned this kind of at the top of the, of the call, um, I started to see it in June and I'm, and it's just, it's accelerating. And what, what it is, is um, uh, a lot of those revenge old economy company, companies, because they are uh, more economically sensitive, uh, they're, they're experiencing negative re revisions and I'm, you know, which I'm seeing negative revisions across the market, but there's, theirs are even at a, a faster rate. Um, and it's accelerating. That downward decline is accelerating. And so I'm seeing it um, on, you know, those, you know, like you mentioned commodities. Um, energy has been the one outlier. But when I look at materials, the other, you know, commodity sector, I mean, it's the revisions over the last six months have been terrible. In fact, uh, uh, so much so materials is the worst uh, sector that I'm seeing um, with respect to uh, estimate revisions. And then the same thing is happening in, on the factor side where, 
uh, values estimate revision were, were doing pretty well uh, up until um, they call it the March to June timeframe. And, and now when I'm, you know, when I've been looking at it for the last six months, it's, it's been uh, declining at a very rapid rate. Um, and so I'm seeing it there and I'm also seeing it um, uh, small size, which is uh, another factor that I track. Same thing, you know, smaller companies are more economically sensitive um, and their uh, revisions have just fallen off a cliff um, uh, this year. And I think that unless the uh, economic activity reaccelerates in 2023, uh, we're just gonna see more of that across those sort of uh, stocks, sectors and factors. Uh, and hence my prescription for why I think you should avoid that uh, in, an, uh, in a contractionary environment. Um, did you say you took out oil from the commodity story? Well, the thing, so oil, oil is an interesting one. And, and so here's, here's the nuance I'm seeing here. Oil normally does well <clears throat> when uh, the economy is expanding and then it does poorly when the economy is shrinking. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I hate to use this phrase, you know, that this time is different. Different this time. No, but it, that's what I wanted to know, because it <laughs> seems like it is. Um, but, it, you know, the thing about oil is that there, um, I can see there's an argument that has been presented that uh, from a supply-demand perspective, there just isn't enough supply. Um, and so I can see a scenario where you can have, potentially have a contraction like the one I'm prescribing, but because of the supply demand characteristics for that commodity and that one only, it could potentially continue to do well, even in a, um, a contractionary environment, which it, it typically does not. Like you look historically and you don't usually don't want to be in that. And, you know, for obvious reasons, I mean, you know, growth is slowing. People are, you know, pinching their pennies. And, um, and so there's less consumption of oil. But it's just, I, you know, with those fundamental dynamics that are unique to this period. Um, that's the reason why I, I pulled uh, energy out as you uh, um, uh, so astutely <laughs> uh, caught on to. Um, a couple of questions, Bobby, coming in. You, you were talking about technology, some of the, you know, some of the, the themes that we've seen on the earnings side of things, ultimately the pull forward. Mm -hmm. So this question is a bit of a follow up. Um, so can technology be multiple factors depending on the type of company and actually where it is in, in the maturity? side of things, you know, just the scale, how big it is, how long it's been around. Yeah, I, I love that question. And it's, it's actually something that uh, some colleagues and I were debating. Um, pre, so pre-COVID, I was ha having this internal um, uh, debate, or it was actually more of a, a, a thought experiment with some of my colleagues, where we kind of were saying the same thing amongst ourselves, um, where historically, uh, Tech companies were, you know, they were they were growth companies. You know, most of the profits were well out into the future, uh, long duration. Um, but you know, over time, over the last twenty years, they've become uh, much larger, much more profitable, much more stable, um, and have actually even transitioned into uh, offering um, what I call recurring revenue business models uh, in a way of like services. And so the the the, the debate that we were having internally was that well you know if if these if the new tech if today's tech is um has very strong you know recurring revenues then that actually makes it look and feel a lot more like a utility right which, which are, are very defensive right or or um, uh, i heard one of your colleagues from the uk say something along the lines of um you know we used to get 
really excited because you, maybe you'd be looking forward to, to buying a new phone in the next year or, you know, it's something you have to use all the time. Your life basically depends on it. Um, and now it's more like, oh, I got to get a new washing machine. You know, the excitement's gone, right? It's sort of a different, different story. Yeah, that, that, that analogy, just to piggyback off of your comment there. So, you know, speaking about a phone, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about, where historically that was, you know, a hardware replacement cycle um, where, you, you know, you almost had discretion about, you know, whether or not to buy it. And that's what kind of made um, tech hardware cyclical. Whereas now, exciting, exciting to get. Yeah, you know, and, and now you've got actually programs you can sign up for where you automatically have phone replacement. Um, I know, which is an, something I know that Apple does. You can, you know, for whatever the fee is per month, you just automatically get your new phone every year. <laughs> and, and that's the type of recurring revenue that I'm talking about. Right. Isn't that fascinating? It's so interest interesting. Um, that's great. Okay. I'm just looking at some of the other questions coming out. It's still, still kind of surrounding the, t so, so let me just ask you, what does that do ultimately? I mean, factors do slice through companies and sectors. That's kind of the purpose of it, but just take that a bit further for us on some of those, those maybe large scale tech companies. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> Uh, you know, I think the, the easiest way for me to unpack that is to, you know, I, I used to support a lot of our sector specific funds. And so if I work with our tech fund and there is much easier um, because, you know, I can my prescription to be higher quality would would it but staying within tech would basically um, translate into overweighting uh, is actually the heart the, the software companies. So uh, tech software and services and particularly IT services is the highest quality um, area within tech. And then um, the other side of that that you would be underweighting then is um, uh, first and foremost, it would be uh, semiconductors. And then in the middle is where you had hardware. Um, so those were kind of the three groups, the three buckets within tech. And, and so if, if you wanted to play defense, um, you know, because of the market environment that we're in, that's the way that you would play it. Um, because our factors are um, what we call sector neutral, we, we keep the sector composition um, identical to that of the broader market, um, primarily because we want, uh, we think that every decision that an investor makes should be uh, deliberate and explicit. And so if you want to be over or underweight a specific uh, sector, you can, you can do that separately from, uh, and express it separately from your factor bet. Um, and so, uh, and so given that, um, you know, our quality factor, uh, even though it's sector neutral, um, it's basically doing that same um, assessment of the of the tech uh, industries that I just walk you through, and so uh, and so you know you'll see that it's you know uh, within tech overweight software you know mostly at the expense of of semis, um, but that overweight can only be so much because we're maintaining that sector neutral composition. Fantastic. Okay, so so come back to it for us. You, you had the three, and and you did say that. At some point, it's sort of a toss up between two and three, but just remind everyone um, in order the the sec factors rather that um, you think will perform best going. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, uh, so as a recap, those were, uh, you know, based off of my expectation for 2023 to have an earnings recession or contraction, uh, you want to be de defensive. And so the, um, the best uh, form of defense is low vol. And then um, my second place would be momentum. Uh, primarily because uh, the other way that you typically express a defensive position is via quality. But because of a lot of the things we talked about that, that I'm, I'm looking at the quality stocks and seeing, um, again, 
you know, some this time is different characteristics where um, high, there are high quality components that still have headwinds um, coming from the, the COVID recovery and the pull forward that was experienced during that. Um, and so it's, you know, I think that I do expect overall uh, that factor to to do well. And um, and especially when I look at it on an equally weighted basis, it, it actually it is up um, on an equally, equally weighted basis uh, year to date. But, you know, a lot of the, you know, the portfolio itself, however, is cap weighted and a lot of that weight is in those COVID beneficiaries. And so that that is a bit of a headwind. Yeah, we could talk about some of these pieces forever. You'll have to come back and join us as soon as possible. Bobby Barnes, thank you for joining us here today on Fidelity Connects. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.